Welcome to Career Chat, where we discuss career stories to help find a path for you. I'm your host, Andrea LeBaron, and it's my goal to help you find meaningful work. Allie Duff is someone who values learning. With master's degrees in both psychology and social work, she spent years helping people around the country with mental health treatment. But after taking a step back to start a family and deal with a health scare, Allie realized it was time to reinvent herself again and become an elementary school teacher. Today, Allie talks with me about her diverse career path, her love for teaching third graders, and her experience as an educator during COVID. We recorded this interview the week before school started, and Allie shares her hopes for this school year. She also has great advice for how parents can partner with their student's teacher and a wish list for legislators to consider. Let's jump in. Welcome, Allie. I am so happy to have you here on my podcast today. I really appreciate the time that you're taking away from getting ready for this new school year. And before we get started, I wondered if you could introduce yourself, tell us um, where you're from, maybe a little bit about your family and your current job title. Sure. Um, so my name is Allie Duff and I teach third grade at Upland Terrace Elementary in Salt Lake City. And um, I've been teaching here for about seven years, uh, third grade, all seven years. Uh, I grew up in Illinois and Colorado, and my parents are in Colorado, so we get to go back there for vacations. That's really fun. I am married and have two kids, and my husband's job is what brought us to Utah. He's a neuropsychologist at the University of Utah, and I have one in college at the U, and one who's a senior in high school at Skyline right up the road. So, uh, yeah. That's so great. And Ever since we met, when I started working at Upland, um, you were kind enough to kind of um, spend time talking with me a little bit about what a librarian does, because you have actually been an elementary school librarian as well. Yes. And in addition to that, you are, were also a social worker. That's so true. there's so much for us to talk about. And I've been really excited to kind of explore all of those different things with you. Um, but first, I wanted to talk about um, when or how you decided to go into social work. Well, let's see. In high school, um, I was a peer counselor and got kind of interested in psychology that way. And when I went to college, I took some classes in psychology and just really loved them. I just um, discovered how um, interesting it is to understand more about a person and how you know the things that have happened in their life and their families really impact their functioning in the world. And it's just applicable to really any career. And that's what, you know, we tell our kids too. Um, you know, a, a few psychology classes can really help you in life and help you to understand the people around you better. So um, I, I made that my degree and went on and got a master's degree in psychology. And as we were moving around the country for my husband's job, he has a, a PhD in psychology. So as we were moving around the country around that time, it kind of seemed like um, social work or a master's degree in social work was actually um, maybe a little bit better for finding jobs as you move from state to state because the licensure uh, was really sort of similar from state to state with that and less so with a master's in psychology. So I got my MSW while my husband was always was also getting his degree. And I uh, did that for about 12 years and really enjoyed it. 
Wow. First of all, you guys must be a great pair because you both have an interest in psychology and have made it a profession. <laughs> yeah, we um, understand each other's, you know, what, what we're talking about and yeah. you know, similar background. We actually went, we got our master's degree in psychology together at the same time in Colorado. So, oh, wow. How fun. Now, so you had your master's degree in psychology, but then you went back and got an MSW, master's in social yep. work. Was that a one-year program for you or did you have two, to do a two, two years? years. Yeah, okay. two years. Mm -hmm. Do you wish that you had gone straight to the MSW or were you glad to have that psychology background? The psychology background was actually very helpful. I mean, financially, yes, I probably should have gone straight to the MSW. <laughs> that would have been the wiser choice financially. But I, you know, I would have missed out on a lot of really good education that I got. That was, it, it was a great program. And it, you know, any education that I've had, I can, I can, I don't regret any of it. It's, it's all been helpful to me in life. So That's I don't regret great. it. <laughs> I agree too. I think sometimes if looking back, we may have taken a different step, but the educational process along the way can just be so phenomenal and important. Um, so what kind of jobs did you have as after you graduated with your MSW? Um, well, we moved around the country for my husband's education. So every time we moved, I would do something a little bit different. But I worked with uh, people with uh, major mental health issues, um, you know, very serious things like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, people that were having a hard time functioning. Um, and I also did elder abuse work and I worked with elderly um, in the Boston community going into the projects and working with people that might be um, being taken advantage of by their families. Um, let's see in another state, I did crisis work. So I was doing a lot of work on weekends, uh, you wow. know, helping people in crisis situations and, uh, just, you know, a variety of things. I did a, a day treatment program at one point and did counseling at another point. So just a wide variety of jobs. That's awesome. And at what point did you decide to like, take a step back? Well, when we decided to have children is really when I started thinking about all that um, social work and a lot of the jobs that I have, you know, or some of them are high stress and some of them require weekend or nights and um, it, it can be tough to watch people going through those problems. So when around the time we started having kids, I really pulled back and was doing either part time or staying home with my children and um, decided, you know, once they started going out in the world, going to preschool and, you know, starting their, their educational career, I decided it was time for me to do something a little bit more positive and try to make a difference in the world in a different way. And is that where you did your library job? Yes, yes. When we uh, moved to Utah, uh, my kids were both in elementary school and I started volunteering at the school and just really enjoyed it. And there was an opportunity and they offered it to me. And I was like, yes, I love reading. I love kids. I love books. I love to get kids excited about books. This is right up my alley. And I uh, decided to give that a go and just loved it. It was just the most fun job. And I know I talk to you about that all the time. <laughs> yes, I think librarians are wonderful and you're such a wonderful person to get kids excited about books and do such a great job in our library. But as you and I know, it's, it's kind of like a little dream job. <laughs> it really is. I feel exactly the same. It's just such a great combination. And I've loved talking to you about that. And I, I see that as having that background in your teaching is such an added bonus because you're coming at it from knowing 
books and wanting to promote them and then knowing how to get kids to read and all of that. I've, I heard it said a little while ago that third grade is where you go from, you make the transition from learning to read to reading to learn. Does that sound right? Yes, yes. That's one of our big goals in third grade. And that's why third grade is so important. I mean, statistically, um, third grade is one of the most important educational years because you're making that transition. So by the end of third grade, we really want to make sure everybody, uh, you know, that kids are really good readers because you need those skills. The skills have to be in place for you to understand the more complex reading material that's going to be coming your way. So all that rich science and social studies that we get to dive into, you know, in third grade and beyond really requires, you know, a, a you know, an ability to read text. So um, yeah, it's a really important third, third grade skill. And I want to come back to all things third grade in just a minute. But um, before we do that, once you had your library job, what was it that led you to decide, actually, I want to become a teacher? Well, um, I just kept volunteering more in schools. And there, there, I, there did come a time where I had breast cancer. And so I had to really everything halted for a minute and, you know, took care of that, got treatment for it. And during that process, it was really a time to sort of reflect and think about what's important to me and what do I want to do with the rest of my life and how can I make a difference in the world? And um, so I decided, you know, you know, just loving being in the school and coming from a big family full of teachers, it was probably the direction I should have taken in the first place anyway. <laughs> I just decided I can do this. And, um, you know, once I was feeling better and not in treatment anymore, I just decided this, this is what I need to be doing. And it's what brings, brings me joy and makes me happy and helps me to know that I'm making the world a better place for, you know, some kids. Oh, I love that. I love that transition that you made as you were going along in your career and then having a help crisis kind of helped you redirect what you wanted to do. Yeah. And I know you did the alternate road to licensure mm -hmm. in order to get your teaching credential. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Can you explain yeah. that a little bit? I'm not sure if that's a, a nationwide program or is that just unique to Utah? I, it's, it's unique to Utah. I think different states have different programs related to that when they need to get teachers into the field when there's a teacher shortage. So it's, it's definitely comes out of that. Like we need more teachers. Um, but basically it was a three-year program and I don't really think they do it the same anymore, but it was a three-year mm -hmm. program where you could start teaching right away if you had a bachelor's degree um, and you know some experience and a school could hire you to come in and be a teacher and then you could take classes at the same time to help you get your certification. So it was three years of full-time teaching and then also taking part-time classes, education classes to get caught up. Um, so it's, it's a tough way to do it. It requires, it? you know, a lot of time because the first couple of years of teaching are very hard anyways. Yes. And you're taking classes on the side and trying to do assignments for that. Uh, so it's, it's not an easy route, but for me, it really made sense because I really did not want to go back and get yet another master's degree. And it allowed me an opportunity to jump in right away. Yeah. So I could, jump in with both feet, you know, start earning a paycheck and not have to take another two years and go back and get another master's degree. Um, so I, I think it's a great opportunity. It's not for everybody. That's for sure. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I would imagine that would be so in my mind, that would be really scary to not have taught at all 
and then to jump in and just start teaching. (laughs) I think I felt a little bit okay. I I mean, there's so many teachers in my family and I've been around educators my whole life. Like I was already half educator anyway. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, social work and working with people, it's kind of the same skills. You're really just teaching people the skills they need to improve their lives, whether it's social work or teaching and, you know, spending all that time in the classrooms with my kids and volunteering in the school and working in the library. Yeah. You, you get a sense of what you're getting yourself into and not yeah. everybody has that. You know, I always say, you know, definitely volunteer in a school before you decide to become a teacher, but absolutely. Uh, That's I knew great, what I was getting myself into a great suggestion. And did um, you feel like once you were kind of walking down that road and you'd been teaching that you were, it was confirmed to you that this is what you wanted to do. You didn't ever look back and go, oh, I don't know. Should I quit? This was the thing. Uh, Definitely. Definitely. I know this is where I belong. Not that, you know, and it was, it was hard and it still is hard. Teaching is a it's a tough road. And so you really, you do have to be passionate about it. You have to want it, you know, and you have to know that you, this is where you belong, that this is your thing. Um, So no, I never looked back and thought I shouldn't be doing this or I should be doing something else. Or, I mean, I go home very tired, (laughs) (laughs) but no, I know it's, I know it's my path for sure. So I wanted to know, um, just like we were talking about using some of the library uh, background that you had in your teaching right now, how do you use your MSW background and your psychology background in your teaching? Like, could you give us an example of like what that looks like when you're teaching day to day? Sure, it's super helpful. The psychology and social work background, um, like my psychology education, for example, we learned a lot about the brain and about cognitive functioning and about, you know, how do people learn and how do you remember something when you're learning? And then, you know, critical thinking skills, all of that comes out of psychology anyways. Mm -hmm. So I had all of that to bring with me. And so I use that all the time in helping kids, you know, even just learning how to how to memorize math facts. What are the skills involved with that? And, you know, what does it take to do something like that? Or, you know, just learning any new skill in school, really, you know, what is the, what is the process and um, what's, you know, helping kids to understand that it's not just, you just come in and do it, you know, it's okay. You know, there's a learning process involved and, you know, there are some things that we can try to help you remember things better. Yeah, absolutely. It's really helpful with that. And then really the social work stuff has been super helpful for, I I feel like I can identify when kids are having mental health issues or family issues that impact their learning at school. I learned a lot about learning disabilities and mental health issues. And so all of that, like my little red flags go up, I think pretty quick. I can sort of sense when something's going on that hasn't yet been identified by third grade. And um, so that's really helpful to me. And then we can start those conversations with the child and with the family about like, what's going on here and how can we better help and better serve your child? And, you know, having worked in the community with lots of different resources, I sort of know what's out there. I know what's available for mental health and can help families make that transition from, oh, is this a problem? Oh, yes, it's a problem. Okay, what do we need to do about it? And can we solve that problem in school? Or do we need to get some outside resources? Do we need to get some evaluations? I think, you know, my my background in working with people helps me to feel more comfortable talking to families about difficult, you know, things like that. Absolutely. What a great resource for all of your students and their parents. I think they're so lucky to have you and and have you know that stuff. When you identify something that could potentially be a problem or an issue, 
Do you usually involve the school social worker um, mm -hmm. or do you try to manage it or handle it with the family initially? Oh, no, I, the more people involved, the better. Um, really, it's, you know, you always talk to the family first and let them know what you're seeing at school and what's concerning you and see, you know, if they're seeing the same thing at home, do they have the same concern? Have they had these concerns in the past? Has there, has anybody ever addressed it with them? Because sometimes kids come in and a lot of these things have, you know, happened, but nobody passed the information along. So it's just getting caught up on the information and where the family is and treatment and, you know, what they're doing. And sometimes nothing's been done. And you're just sort of helping that family to say, okay, here's all of the resources that we have. Let's get together with our social worker. Maybe we need to use our psychologist. Let's all, let's just sit down and have a conversation about it mm -hmm. and see, you know, and, and come to some sort of agreement about how we can best help your child. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So um, can you give us a, an example of what a typical third grade day is like for those of <laughs> us who <laughs> not been in third grade or don't have third graders? I saw that question. I thought, ha, there's no typical third, third grade day. Every single day is different. And that's why I love teaching. Honestly, that is why I love teaching. Every single day is different. But the, the main thing is there's a lot of laughter and there's a lot of learning and it's a, just a big year for growth. And that's one of the most fun things about third grade. You just see this phenomenal growth from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. And so we're doing math facts and we're learning multiplication and division and then reading. We're reading all this exciting, all these exciting things. And kids are really able to dive in not only to fiction and chapter books, which is new for some kids, but they're also diving into a lot of informational reading. And, you know, we have the internet, which helps us to find all kinds of interesting articles that they really love. And, you know, science and social studies where, you know, we get to look at forces in motion and, uh, you know, biomes and Native Americans and what does it mean to be a good citizen? So we, we just, we're doing all these fun things and it's just energetic and boom, 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 boom. We're going to the next thing all day long. We're singing, we're dancing, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just a lot of fun. We're having fun and we're learning and we're working hard. So those are I always my goals. That. Yeah. That's so great. I would love to be in your class just for a day. And I have been for, for a few things, but, and, and I've loved when you've um, done book reports because every month you have a different book report yeah. and I help your students find books that fit in with that book report theme. And yes. then you've yes. invited me down to take a look at their projects and they're just so creative and fun. It's been great. Uh, yes, I love that. And at the beginning of the year, everybody's a little bit like, oh no, we're going to have to do all this. <laughs> but by the end of the year, it's one of the comments I get from kids and parents about how excited they were, you know, that their child found something interesting and new to read and how good it was for them to try so many different genres of books. Yeah. Is there one particular project that you love doing with your students over the year? Um, poetry is always near and dear to my heart. I love doing poetry yeah. and we, you know, they make poetry mobiles. We read poetry, we make a poetry book and they love it and I love it. And it's just one of my favorites. I love that. That's awesome. So could you identify, oh, first of all, how much prep time do you get every week? And what are you expected to do in that amount of time? Uh, elementary teachers get very little prep time. Um, really, you know, it's just while the kids are at PE, um, that half an hour, if, if we get art, 
um, that we get that half an hour as well. And then we're supposed to get time on Friday afternoons, but that's usually filled up with meetings and committees and other things that you need to do. So it, it's really not enough time for prepping, you know, four to five subjects each, each week. Uh, you know, during that time, you need to, you could spend your 30 minutes answering emails, really. Right. <laughs> so there's answering emails, you're prepping, you're making copies, you're thinking about the next day's work, you're collecting data. Um, it's just a million things to do in a little bit of time. So really, most of my prep happens before school. I try to get here pretty early in the morning and on my weekends. Okay. So if you had a wish list of, of you know, how time could more time that you were allotted what would you wish for uh, i think teachers are deserving of you know 45 minutes to an hour per day really yeah. for you know you're prepping all of you know four to five different subjects plus your grading papers plus creating all these assessments and um it's just a lot to try to squeeze in. So even the hour of the day would be cutting it. <laughs> you know, we yeah. would still be working at home at night, but that would be, you know, that would be great to have, to have that much time. I know high school teachers get a prep period, right. uh, which is probably also interrupted a lot by other things, but it would be nice if we had a built-in prep period. Would yeah. Be great. So that time that you're spending in the morning, that's off contract time that, yes you're doing on your own to prepare for the day yes mm -hmm. okay and then time in the summer do you spend time you know like this week yeah. i think you're on contract this week right but anything you did previous to this week is just your own time yeah, yeah. this week and then this week is filled with meetings and things so we don't really have a lot of time to prep our rooms and elementary classrooms take a lot of preparation you need to get things together to make it easier when the kids come you know, so that they're ready to learn. So we spend a lot of time, I spent the whole week last week here, uh, getting the classroom ready to go. And I usually spend a few weeks during this summer also, you know, trying to improve something or looking for a different way to teach something or just, you know, cleaning up my classroom. <laughs> it's, a, it's endless, you know, there's just an endless list of things to do. Yeah, absolutely. And are you spending your own money to get your classroom ready? Always, always. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the um, our legislative fund is only about two hundred and fifty dollars, and I can spend that in a blink of an eye. Yeah. Especially when we had a new uh, science curriculum come into play last year, so a lot of the science resources and things that I had before, you know, aren't relevant anymore. So we need to get some new books. We need to get some new supplies. Uh, and with twenty eight kids, which is what I have this year, that money goes super fast. Wow. And so we would try to explain that to parents, you know, it's very little money um, for 28 kids. And, and this year we are getting some money from the PTA. So that will, that will be a nice little boost as well. Oh, that's great. One of the questions I had that I really would love to know is if you, if you had time with legislature, legislators, if you had an hour mm -hmm. with either federal or state legislators, what would you want them to know about education? Really, and especially with everything going on, you know, in the last few weeks with um, uh, CRT, the critical race theory stuff, I just want them to realize that, you know, teachers are intelligent and thoughtful and have the best interests of students and our communities in mind. And that's what's in the forefront of our thinking with everything that we're doing every single day. And it would be great if for them to try to elevate, you know, respect for teaching and respect for education 
And, um, you know, it's just, it's a big challenge with the, the big class sizes that we have here and, you know, the, the lack of funding to help address all of the needs of all of the children in our classroom. Um, that's, that's a big thing. Um, and, and I know that's tough to get the class sizes down, but it, when you have a smaller class size, you realize how much progress you can make with kids and how mm -hmm. much more you can help them learn. And um, so, so that, that is one thing, you know, just to know that we're working hard and that we wear a lot of hats in the classroom and we don't have enough support to be able to serve every student in the way that we would want to. Yeah. So you could use more prep time, more smaller class sizes, more funding. Yeah. And, and, and support for kids who are struggling. It's, um, it's a really tough road to get kids extra help in schools. So there aren't people assigned to do that. And, you know, special ed, getting a child special ed services takes um, a lot of work. <laughs> so, right. so, you know, it's a, it can be several years of data collecting uh, before a child gets the help that they need. And so we need to find other ways to support classrooms and, and get more bodies in the classroom, not more training. A lot of times I think their, their approach is to say, well, teachers need more training. Well, we know what needs to happen. We just need more support in making that happen. And sometimes that's dollars, sometimes that's bodies. Um, uh, but that, that would be a big thing to, to help us be able to serve, you know, serve our communities better. Yeah, that's a great point. So what would you say is something that you really enjoy about your job? Oh, there are so many things I enjoy about teaching. I mean, really the, the energy and that every day is different. And, um, I mean, the biggest thing for me in teaching is really just knowing that I'm making a difference in these kids' lives every day. Like I, I know that when they leave my classroom at the end of the year, that they've had a successful year and they're ready for fourth grade. And, um, I've had an impact in getting them going in the right direction. And I know that's good for our community. It's good for our state. It's good for our country country, really, that you're able to uh, make a difference in that way and make a difference in the future of our country that way. Um, but I mean, there's so many things to love about teaching. It's just, you know, you never know what the kids are going to say. And we just have fun. And um, it's so fun to watch them have that aha moment when they finally get something and you've been working so hard and <laughs> they, they get it. And you're like, yes, you know, <laughs> or, you know, the child who thinks, you know, they'll never be able to memorize their math facts and you just keep trying and keep trying and keep trying and they do it. And yes, <laughs> I so, love that. Yeah, it's just it's the best job. That's so great. So let's, uh, we're kind of nearing the end, but I just want to get a lot of your opinion about COVID and the things that you had to deal with last year and going into this year. Um, yeah. So what kind of changes, like how was last year different than a normal year? And what do you see happening this year? This year. <laughs> last year was really a tough year. Uh, since Granite made the decision to ask teachers to host both in-class learners and learn, you know, distance learning students, um, it really created a second job for teachers. Yeah. So, and the Fridays to do it are really just a half day. It's a half day to create a whole second curriculum. So that was a big challenge and it was kind of crazy. And then we did have, you know, kids going in and out, like people were happy to be back. I mean, I yes. think that was the biggest thing. Everyone was, you know, we at our school were 80% by the end of the year, 
in person, you know, so we have a lot of the kids here. And the challenge with the kids here was really them going in and out because of quarantine or being worried about being ill or somebody in their family was ill. And so then they were having to hop on and do distance learning for a few weeks. And that created a challenge for each family, every single, you know, and then for me as a teacher, trying to get them up to speed on how to do that each time that would happen. And then for our distance learners, I mean, it's hard to be at home and, you know, reading every, it's a lot of reading. It's a lot of listening. And um, many of them were on their own trying to do it. And it was a big challenge. It was a really hard thing to try to, to learn from home for a whole year. Uh, And some kids did do that. So it was, it was a lot of, it was a lot of stress. It was a lot of challenges. You know, I think families were stressed out. Everyone was worried. Am I going to get sick? Is my family member going to get sick? You know, some of our families were worried about their job situation. Um, People are trying to work from home and help their kids at home and then not have our usual supports. You know, we didn't have our extended, we couldn't see extended family. We couldn't go see grandma and grandpa. We couldn't see our friends or spend time in big groups that we're used to. So it, it, it did create, I think, a lot of stress and a lot of challenges. But, you know, some good things came out of that as well. I think we, we all saw that we're much more adaptable and much more resilient than, than we thought. And I think our kids, the kids that were here were just amazing, you know, putting on those masks and learning all day in a mask and teaching all day in a mask. And we did it. We <laughs> did it. You know, we got through the year and it wasn't the perfect year, but uh, we made a lot of progress and we got those kids ready for fourth grade. So so, you know, we, we made it through, but it was, it was tough and not something I would ever want to do again. I think, you know, pulling teachers in two directions like that was not, you know, that did take a toll on both in-person and distance learning students and, you know, teachers' personal lives and mental health and physical health right. <laughs> and, and all of that. So it's not something I would ever want to do again. Yeah. I, I think you've just said, you've just spoken for so many teachers right there the complexity of having to do two different jobs. And then on the student end of it, like you said, the inconsistency of coming in or out, the situation at home, so many things in flux. It was a really, really tough year. And I, do you feel like things are, have kind of mellowed a little bit going into this year? Do you, I mean, how are you feeling about starting the the year? Well, you know, um, towards the end of last year and over the summer, I was feeling really good where, you know, most of us are vaccinated now and, you know, the teachers were ready to take off our masks and then all of a sudden Delta. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So so now we're worried about Delta and there's no mask mandate. You know, the uh, legislature has taken the ability to you know, have that happening in the classroom on a consistent basis away from us. So it it's there's a lot of uncertainty again when we would have you know we would have we could have gone in you know our our dream was to take the masks off and go back to normal but that's not happening so right right (laughs) um so yeah there's a lot of uncertainty i know there are enough of us that know people who are even vaccinated who have gotten uh the delta variant and it doesn't sound like fun. Yeah. So even though it's supposed to be milder if you're vaccinated, you know, none of us want to get sick. And when you're in a classroom all day long with, you know, 28 or 30 little bodies who have not been vaccinated, it does make you, you know, a little bit worried, a little bit concerned about, you know, what's going to happen for them? Are they going to spread it to each other? 
and, or, or could I get sick and could I take it home to my family or, you know, are they going to take it home to their families? So there, again, there is some uncertain uncertainty. So do you feel like as the, as a teacher, you could advise your students to wear a mask or do you feel like you can even go there? Is it just going to be up to individual families? It's really, yeah. I mean, I think the district is taking the, um, stance that masks are encouraged Mm -hmm. because that's what our health department has recommended. They're encouraging masks indoors. And so, but as teachers, we're really to remain neutral. We need to support those wearing masks and support those not wearing masks in the same way. And, um, just, you know, we'll just do our best to make it a Mm non-issue and, you know, just, we're here to learn whether you're wearing a mask or not wearing a mask is okay. Whatever your family decides is best for you. That's okay. And then I think we'll see pretty quickly. I mean, we'll see what percentage of kids come in in masks. And then I think it'll be really interesting to look at the data and see if we have a big classroom with, you know, hardly anyone wearing a mask, what happens there, you know, right. you know, with people's health and our kids going to be going in and out again. Right. Right. Quarantine. And this, as opposed to last year, this year, you won't be doing the dual modality, right? So if kids have to quarantine or they miss, will they just coordinate with you as their teacher for whatever, like home packets they could do? Or, I mean, do you have a Google classroom? Do you, do you put a lot of stuff on there where your kids could kind of check in and out of that? Yeah, yeah, I think um, we can still use our Google Classrooms and post some lessons for that child if we wanted to use some things that we had developed last year. I think that would be fine. Mm-hmm. I think we can also, you know, send kids home with packets and things like that. I mean, I'm really hoping that we don't go down that road. You know, some families had really extensive up to six week that or quarantines just wow. because of you know when back to back got it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so, so that's hard. And that is one thing that I don't know that, you know, the people making the laws are really thinking about, Mm -hmm. but even if kids aren't getting super sick, if they're having to quarantine and then there's, you know, a succession of quarantines all year long, it does slow down education. We're not going to have the same year if we have people coming in and out of the classroom, even if people aren't getting real sick. Right. So what, what do you think you'll do personally? Do you think you'll wear a mask or? Yeah, my, I, I feel like being in a classroom with 28, you know, young children who aren't vaccinated, it's like being in the classroom with their families as well, you know, cause they're bringing that from home. So yeah, right. <laughs> so I, so I am going to start the year off in a mask and just kind of see how it goes. And we'll watch the data and see what happens. See if, if people are getting sick, see if my kids in my classroom are getting sick and I'll take all kinds of precautions. We'll keep cleaning. We'll keep hand sanitizing, um, and, you know, keep the windows open, try to keep as much ventilation as possible when we can be outside as much as possible and, and do a lot of those same things as last year. Yeah. So do you feel like there were any positive things that happened that you, that have taken the place of the old way of doing things that you kind of want to keep around? Um, hmm. Well, I mean, I think 
we learned pretty quickly how important hygiene is to staying well. So, <laughs> I mean, I think we definitely all want to like stay on the, let's wash our hands a lot. Let's hand sanitize a lot. Let's use good hygiene when we're, you know, with little kids, there's a lot of yep. touching the faces. There's blowing noses. There's picking noses. There's hands <laughs> and mouths. There's touching everything. Yeah. So being a little bit more aware of, of hygiene and how things spread. It was kind of amazing not to have any colds or flu last year, or strep throat or bronchitis or any of those things that teachers get. So, so being more aware about our health and how we can protect each other, even when it's not COVID is, is pretty important. And, uh, it do, it really did force us to learn a lot of new tech skills so that I did pick up on a lot of things that I could use going forward. And I think in general, there are a lot more resources out there mm-hmm. now, you know, it took, you know, COVID pushing all of that forward and making that progress. And now we have a lot more resources for things that we teach that we could use uh, technology for. So, mm. so some of that will stick with me as well. Yeah. I love that. I think that's such a great observation. Um, what do you think parents could do to support their kids this year and support their teachers? Like if you could say anything to parents about education in general, supporting their child in school, or just with the COVID um, restrictions, what, what would you say? So just to remember that we're partners in education and we want the best for your kids and we want to work with you to provide the very best education for your child. So, you know, valuing education and keeping your kids in school and, um, you know, trying to reduce absences that aren't necessary is, is super helpful. Also keeping sick kids home. I mean, the other end of that is really just keep those sick kids home so that we're not impacting the rest of the classroom is really helpful as well. Um, and ask what you can do to help ask, um, you know, how you can volunteer, what you could do to support the classroom. That's always, always a big help. Um, and just communicate with your teacher regularly. You know, read the emails. If you have questions, if you have concerns, uh, come and talk to your teachers, send an email, ask a question. Um, let us, you know, be a partner in your child's education and just know that, you know, we want the very best for them so we can work together on that. Mm, I love that, that's super helpful. Um, so just a couple of final questions. What advice would you give to a college student or maybe a high schooler who's interested in education? Is there any kind of career advice that you would give? And then maybe just some some general career advice that you've learned from, you know, starting out in social work and then eventually ending up in education. Um, for people interested in education, I say go for it. It's a it's a wonderful job and it's a great way to make a difference in the world. I would say it's helpful if you can find a way to volunteer and and you know get yourself inside the school and see what see what a teacher's day looks like. And you know, maybe spend some time in classrooms of different age groups. Like maybe you want to look at a junior high classroom, or maybe you want to look at kindergarten versus fifth grade, because there's such vast differences in teaching at each different level. And even when you're in college, taking those gen ed courses, the first couple of years, if you can find a way to get into a classroom and observe, I mean, most teachers are happy to welcome people in. So if you can find a way to observe and and really get a sense of what's going on and knowing what you're getting yourself into um, before you get there. And, um, you know, just, you wanna be passionate about education before you 
head down that road. Yes. <laughs> so, I love that. Great advice. I have to love learning, you know, because teachers are always, we're learning as well. We're, you know, you have to value learning and, uh, you know, trying to help kids find different ways to learn and deal with challenges besides just being in front of a classroom and imparting information. There's just, there's, you have to be willing to accept the whole, the whole thing. <laughs> right. And, and what would you say, do you have any advice for people in general? Like what, what are you telling your teenagers, young adults about finding a career? Yeah. Well, we usually tell our kids to just don't feel like you have to have it all figured out right now. Mm -hmm. You know, like I think sometimes they stress out thinking here I am, you know, my son's about to finish college and here I am. And I, you know, you don't have to have the perfect thing lined up and you there, you know, as, as I well know, you can reinvent yourself over and over again. There's, there are lots of opportunities in the world and we just tell our kids to think about what you enjoy doing and you know what you're passionate about, what you're interested in, and you know shoot for that. Try to get as much education as possible around that, and then get out in the world and try some things and see what sticks. Yeah. <laughs> and if it doesn't stick, you can try something else. There's no forever. You don't have to. You know, <laughs> you can always do something different. And so, you know, all of these experiences, all the different jobs that I've had. Um, they really help you to learn and grow as an individual and um, you, you know, they're opportunities in life to learn. Thanks for joining me today on Career Chat. Any links we talked about will be in the episode notes. You can find me on Instagram at Career Chat Pod. And if you like this episode, please leave me a review on Apple Podcast. See you next time. Thank you.